In the Reading Corner today, I'm so pleased to be welcoming back super talented David Litchfield. We have made a podcast together before and you can listen to that one in the Reading Corner. We're going to be talking about different things today. So previously we've talked about David's work in graphic design and the move into illustration. We've talked about his solo books and we've talked about his black and white illustration. But today I thought it would be great to specifically talk about his latest book, Pip and Egg, which is written by Alex Latimer. I have to say that when you see so many picture books every day, you can begin to feel as though everything has been done before. That's not actually a criticism because a book that works from an old idea can be given new appeal and perspective from the treatment that it's given. But I have to say that I did find something quite fresh in Alex Latimer's text. And I wondered if we could start with your first thoughts when you were given this text. Did you have different ideas about how you would approach it or was the first idea the strong one? There was a number of reasons why I like jumped at the chance to, to draw this book. And one of them kind of does tie in with what you just talked about, actually, because it felt like it had... a the opportunity to be more of a traditional children's book than maybe the, the other books I've worked on before. There was something so sweet, so incredibly sweet and innocent about, about it. I just absolutely loved it. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of the books I've worked on, and I, I love all my books that I've worked on, but there, there's maybe something a little bit, little bit darker about some of the other books that I've worked on. Whereas this one was just pure picture book innocence for, for me. It's got everything about in it that, that I love this this story as well. It's about you know two things that come together. Pick an egg, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that shouldn't come together. They shouldn't be friends. You know, Mother Nature herself is saying you know you two are, are separate entities. You shouldn't be friends. And there was just something very great about that. You know, friendship can kind of overcome all those barriers, and they they develop into these different characters yet still come back together. I, I just, you know, that just resonated with me in this story. There's going to be a lot for us to talk about. Yeah. Um, that's for sure. So I thought that one of the first things that you probably had to do was establish some character, but you weren't really given very much to go on as uh, yeah. at the beginning. Uh, the text reads, One bright afternoon, Pip met Egg. They were both very happy to find a friend who was the same size and shape. So tell us a little bit. I mean, I don't know where the character was a starting point for you, first of all, but maybe talk to us a little bit about both of those, the starting point and the character. I think it always is the character with me. Like I, I, will, I will sketch out ideas for the character. Um, I mean, it's a pip and an egg. I couldn't go and do too many crazy things with the character, especially with the egg. You know, you can't get much more simple than an egg. And again, that goes back to the purity of this book. I just wanted to keep it incredibly simple, especially with the characters. It's almost like I wanted the characters to be simple and then the world that was kind of changing around them to be like really complex and lots of different textures and different kind of lighting and, and stuff. You're not distracted by the characters. You're, you're almost like distracted by the the surroundings as the characters are because, you know, so much mm -hmm. is changing around them and stuff. Mm. But no, so it started with the characters and it was, it was simply, let's look at an egg and let's look at a pip and draw, you know, a, a, a very kind of simple face on them. The, I mean, the only kind of, you know, artistic flair I could kind of 
uh, imposed on these characters was I made the pip maybe a bit bigger than a pip really should be. <laughs> he's like, he's almost the same size as an egg, which, you know, I don't know what fruit he came from, but it's, you know, it's obviously a very oversized pip that must exist in this forest that they meet in. So the anthropomorphic elements of these yeah. characters is as light as it possibly could be. And so in doing that, you've really kept the egginess of the egg yeah. and the seediness. Oh, that's got a different meaning. But, you know, of the seed, you've managed to retain that. And that's what we see them as more than anything else. But actually, there's four characters, in a yeah. sense, four main characters, because you have that transformation. And when they transform, you have to show difference. And I was quite interested in how you chose to do that, because there's a lot of contrast. Well, that was, point. I guess that was another part of the decision to keep the pip and the egg fairly simple because when the when the change happens, you, you kind of want it to be quite spectacular, really. And, you know, and obviously in, 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 in real life, in nature, that's a spectacular thing. When a tree grows and when an egg hatches, it's an amazing, beautiful kind of thing. And, and I guess I wanted, the, I wanted that contrast to be there in, in, in the illustrations. So, yeah, when egg turns into a bird, I really wanted the bird to have really beautiful, bright coloured feathers, almost be this kind of multi-coloured bird. And the same with Pip, uh, you know, when he's a tree, all his leaves, it's obviously, you know, autumn time and stuff. So all his leaves are turning these beautiful colours. The feathers of the bird and the leaves of the tree mm. make quite a strong connection. And when you look at the end papers, you're not quite sure whether you're looking at a leaf or a feather. Was that, that deliberate? It kind of, well, was it, actually, maybe maybe I wasn't being that clever. I draw leaves and feathers in a very similar, similar way. So it kind of probably was a happy accident that that happened. But again, it kind of fits so perfectly for this book. And that's one of the things with, like, mistakes as an illustrator, that they can kind of turn into these, these kind of cool, happy accidents, I guess. So you talked, let's just have a look at this spread in front of us, where you've got Pip and Egg, and they're in this kind of forest clearing, I suppose you might call yeah. it. And you talked about how you wanted the busyness of the background um, to be there and the simplicity of the characters. That's exactly what we have here. And I wondered whether you could talk us a little bit through the composition of this page. So I obviously wanted to get across the epic scale of the woods that they're in. Although in reality, they're probably not that epic. It's just that Pip and Egg are, are very small. I mean, I love, I love drawing forest scenes. Uh, anytime I can, I can get a forest scene in there, I, I, will, I will take it, any opportunity I get. And yeah, I just sort of thought, where would the environment be that they would meet? So, you know, a forest kind of fit the bill. But you can very much kind of lose Pip and Egg in that, in that image. And that's where I find, you know, using light quite handy, where it can be almost like you, you know, the light coming through the trees can almost be used as a, as a spotlight to kind of say, you, you know, your focus needs to be here. There's all this kind of stuff going on in the background. But if you just follow, follow the light, you'll see where you, where you, you need, to, need to be. And it's something I learned from drawing the bear and the piano, actually, is um, a lot of that takes place in a forest and there's a lot going on. And yeah, I, re I really kind of had to kind of think about, OK, how can I make the readers mm -hmm. focus on the, the characters that they're supposed to? And then, you know, their secondary thing will be like, oh, let's take in some of the nice scenery. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so um, 
having the shaft of light coming from the you know the the the, the top right of the page down to the top left mm. kind of was almost like a guide and, and then, it's yeah, almost just, like a stage isn't it in this clearing this forest yeah. clearing yeah I think I don't know whether I'm supposed to be a stage director in another life or something but I, I really do sort of see images like that you know that they are presented to you on a, on a stage this is like the curtain going up and I always feel that with the first page of a book it's like you know the curtains going up you need to get as much information in, into your eyes <laughs> as possible to kind of understand these characters and understand the story that's about to begin. Hmm. I want to talk a little bit more about light. Light is such a recurring quality uh, in your work. And I think we often talk about it as though light is one thing, but actually it possesses a whole range of qualities, uh, intensity, softness, colour, contrast, direction, shadow. You use it in, in lots of different ways through the book. Um, I wondered if you'd like to tell us a bit about that. For example, here um, we've got a sunset. It's yeah. um, probably about a quarter of the way through the book. And Pip and Egg are looking out over a river, and mountains, and we've got a classic sunset, I think. Yeah, yeah. light, light is very important to me, and there's two... There's two people really that instilled that into me. One was Mr. White, my art teacher at Hastingsbury Upper School. Um, and I do, I remember this very specific moment, actually. I was, you know, my artwork was good. It was okay. I'd get, you know, I'd get good, good marks and stuff. And it wasn't until he really sort of sat me down and said, look, you need to look at light and you need to look at how light hits an object and and how you know just adding simple kind of lighting techniques and shading and you know this is just with a pencil and a rubber so it was before I'd even you know started using things like photoshop and stuff how shading and light and and things can affect an object that you're drawing and how you can make it look kind of 3d and you know how you can make it come alive on page basically and that really stuck with me because it was an instant change in my work. It was like, wow, this is like taken what I was doing to a to another level. You know, I was, what, 14, 15 or so. But it's a memory that stuck with me. Uh, and I kind of call back on it when I'm kind of struggling to make something look good and stuff. But also, I think it's like an obsession with Steven Spielberg films. Um, you know, it's been a lifelong obsession, but it would be like E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. All these things where light is actually an integral part of the narrative, right? It's like, it's not just there for show. It's like, actually, Steven Spielberg is using light to kind of tell this story almost. You know, when a, when the light arises on Elliot's face, when that UFO comes down, you know that, you know, something important's happening. So, yeah, I, I guess Steven Spielberg as well is a, is a big influence on, on my use of light in these books. And it's a very emotive thing, light, I think. I think we naturally respond to, to light in, a, in an emotive way. So when we go and see Pip and Egg sitting uh, and they're kind of being got all these kind of crazy lights and colours on them in that on that horizon, you know, there's quite an emotive thing, uh, really, that I think the, the lighting really helps capture that. You talked about it as a a narrative technique. Mm. So there are two, there's an opening and a closing vignette Mm. to this book. And light is, uh, and the way that you've used light and colour there really affects how you 
take the meaning I think out of the entire story so I I think so I I mean I don't want to get too um sad about this book but for me those vignettes like I really like the idea of this book being like a story of this couple's whole life together yeah um and you know maybe that last vignette is kind of towards the end of uh, yeah. end of Pip and Egg's life, but that's obviously a bit too morbid to really to really talk about it for a for a children's book. But in my own head, that's kind of what I was thinking. When we talked before, you talked about illustrating and writing coming together hand in hand, and you used a phrase called the unity of words and pictures. But you don't have that luxury, in a sense, in a book that is written by somebody else Mm. and particularly in a book where there has to be so much passing of time so there are lots of ways that you could have set about that I'm interested in how you decided to kind of portion up the time well this book is one of those occasions where it's uh, so Scholastic who who, uh, are the publishers they're, they're one of those publishers that are just like here's the text see what you think and come back to us with, you know, with your sketches and stuff. And um, even Alex, you know, he was very much like, let's see what David comes up with with this text. And I love that. As an illustrator, that's a a lovely thing, because you can just kind of, you you can very much put your own imprint on it then, and you can kind of put your own ideas into the illustrations. I mean, I've been doing this now for six years. So The Bear and the Piano came out six years ago, and that, for me, was like my picture book training kind of, boot camp for that book because I was learning so much and a lot of the techniques that I learned from doing that first book you know I've been using them in other books and that, this page in particular in Pip and Egg where it is time passing within the vignettes it's almost like a natural thing now where it's like <laughs> changing the changing the sky color and changing almost like some of the seasons and you know the leaf colors and, and things it's like an, a, a thing that you see and you naturally can kind of read the image, I guess, that time is passing, things are changing behind these characters. So there's a few techniques that I've picked up over the last six years, which I guess kind of can go into these kind of visual storytelling kind of, you know, ways of working, really. Yeah, it, it, you managed to, by, by creating or dividing the page up into these vignettes, you, you're able to create more time more yeah. more of a sense of time but also yeah. on the page that we're looking at here where pip is becoming rooted into the ground mm. you made the decision here to create a sort of cutaway and this is another way i suppose of reflecting time in this book yeah so it's like on the left page we've got like the three vignettes where like you know life is just carrying on and they're very happy you know as friends and again I guess this is part of the kind of visual storytelling techniques that I kind of have learned throughout you know along the way uh having the full page where you know this dramatic moment suddenly happens just giving it space and giving it more of an attention this mm-hmm. this action that's about to happen warrants a, a a page all by itself I think children will absolutely love the kind of looking down into yeah. the layers of the earth. Again, I guess that's another way of sort of communicating, you know, time has happened, you know, there's there's creatures that are buried under here, but also the fact that Pip is going to be there for a, a long time now, you yeah. know, he's going to be part of that history of that, that piece of land. His roots are being literally laid onto that piece of ground. 
I told you we're going to talk about a lot with this very simple story. Yeah. I'd love to talk textures with you. Again, it's okay. something that you mentioned last time we met. You said that you often collect textures for each specific book that you work on. So I wondered whether you did for this book. I kind of make as many textures as I possibly can throughout the year. Whether I'm working on a specific book or not, I will I will try and collect textures or make textures in my sketchbooks and stuff, just, just from throwing paint around. And at the same time, you know, I've got quite familiar with my texture collection now. So it's like if I'm making an image and I can kind of see all that old texture that I used on another book could work there, but it will need to be kind of changed and manipulated. That that is the whole point of like making all the textures. I didn't want all the books to look the same. I wanted to have their own feel and their own texture. So I think I used a few other old ones on this as well, as well as some new ones, like the tree. So that image we've got with, with um, Pip, uh, his roots going down. Um, a lot of the trees that are behind him are, are brand new textures, and that is just literally blobs of paint that you know are in my in my sketchbook. And I I just kind of created this forest scene. I think that almost does give it quite a nice unique look. And um, I noticed the mountains as well. Were they torn paper? Uh, no, it wasn't torn paper actually. But that that's given me an idea though. Maybe I should <laughs> use torn paper. That comes from a sketch in my sketchbook where I was just sketching mountains, and then I yeah I scanned that in and coloured that in. So that's kind of a mixture of pencils and digital wizardry, basically. The clouds behind them, I use them quite a lot in this book. And um, again, it goes back to Mr. White at, at Hastingsbury Upper School. Uh, that is from a painting I did in my A-levels of like, uh, it, well, it was literally just the sky with a few trees at the bottom. And it was a piece of prep work and I really loved it. It wasn't a final piece or anything. It was just part of prep work, looking at clouds and looking at skies. And it was one of those pieces of work that I kept with me uh, and then I found it in one of my old folders and I was like, I'm going to use that. That's an amazing piece of work. And so these clouds that keep, keep recurring in the book are actually painted like decades before the, the actual book wow. was made. <laughs> I love that idea because I think one of the things that I often say to children and to teachers is keep your work. Oh, totally. Because you never know when you might want to go back and rework or revisit yeah, yeah. No, I have sketchbooks from, you know, from the 90s that I will never get rid of because and also, that you know, in terms of ideas and things, it's great to go back through some of the initial little tiny sketches that you maybe drew and then forgot about. You know, there's always some kind of magic in those little doodles that you, you drew and, you know, years and years ago that can spark kind of ideas and can spark new things. And mm. yeah, keep keep as much as possible. There's a speech bubble on the page that we're looking at. It's the only one in the book and it's where the it's to create an element of surprise. So um, bird, um, a knowing reader might know that the egg has turned into a bird at this stage, but we haven't had the reveal on yeah. the turn of the page. And so we have this little off stage, if you like, speech bubble. Mm. Was that you or Alex or a designer that um, came up with that? I think that might have been the designer actually to have that idea. <laughs> I think it was my idea to hand write it. So it was gave it a bit more of a personal kind of feel. And I, I almost like, you know, I wanted it to be a bit of a withering kind of sounding uh, mm. in a way mm. is what the, what, what the, the bird's saying. Mm. So bird does eventually leave the tree as yes. birds do. You know, they need yeah. to fly off and mm -hmm. see the world and you get the chance to revisit your cities and you've got yeah. contrast coming in here. 
Yes. What a, what a spectacular view that is as the uh, bird is flying into the city. You must have had great fun with this. It was a fun one to draw. I, I do I do like drawing cities. And again, it's that kind of like you can really go crazy with the lights and the colours. And I love the contrast between the, the kind of natural world that we've been in for like, you know, most of the book to this point to kind of go into the big bright city. And you've got that kind of bird's eye view. It reminded me of, you know, when you've been away on a flight and as you fly in, you can see London and the Docklands and you can see the fields. Yeah, but also that weird sensation where you look out a window and like the earth is almost flat against the window. It's almost like you're, you know, when when you're kind of docking and the landscape is almost like quite bumpy and rolling and... Oh, it was great fun. This is like an an image like I've not really drawn before, I guess. And then just coming on to the city itself, and here I was really interested in how you created the sense of the busyness of this place. Yeah. Well, I mean, these buildings, obviously, I mean, they kind of look bizarre. They look like they're falling down almost, but I kind of wanted it to be... You know, the chaos of the of the city and the fact that the birds are flying. So the buildings are going to look different to the birds and it's going to, you know, they're kind of going in and out of the buildings and stuff. And I just wanted this kind of chaotic feel to this city or maybe not, maybe chaotic is the wrong word, but this kind of buzz to the city. This, mm-hmm. you know, there's all, all kinds of things going on. And the perspective we've got is almost like from below, but then the street is kind of in a different perspective. So I'm kind of playing around with all kinds of things there. And again, even though we are in the kind of real world and we're in the city, I still wanted it to look very kind of picture booky. It wasn't quite reality. It was, you know, there were some odd things going on in this city. You know, the colours of the buildings, for example, you know, they're very bright and colourful and, you know, we've got red and blues and greens and things. So, yeah, even though we were kind of coming into gritty realism in the story, mm. um, I still wanted to have that kind of charm of a, of, mm. a, of a typical picture book. So, David, I know that you've just moved house a little yeah. bit like Bird, but I know you've not moved too far. And I wondered whether you'd establish your new working space yet and what that's going to be like. Well... My dream has always been, this is an odd dream, but I've always wanted, to, I think it's a Roald Dahl thing where I've always wanted to work in a shed in my in my garden. And we have now got, uh, well, it's, it's not a shed, it's a garage. So it actually, you know, it has brick walls and things, but it's at the bottom of my garden. So hopefully in the next couple of months, I'll be in there and I can have my dream space that I've always wanted. It's uh, fantastic. And can just imagine you getting all your textures organised and yes. uh, all your materials organised. Yes. Well, um, I can actually make a mess in there. It's great. I can actually, <laughs> it will be like literally my own space. Sounds fantastic. Um, I, thank you so much for today. And okay. uh, I feel I've got yet more things to quote back at you in the next interview. Oh, <laughs> that'd be good. <laughs> uh, but it's been lovely to get an insight into uh, Pip and Egg today from your point of view. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.